Caitlin, if you could be on any reality TV show, past or present, which would you choose and why? Have you heard of Naked and Afraid? No, but it sounds like just the one you'd choose. <laughs> it's because it's like Adam and Eve naked and surviving in the wilderness. So it's the most oh. biblical one. Wait, they like what? Drop people off in the wilderness naked? <laughs> it's a survival show, but they're also naked. <laughs> what about you? I, I mean, the thing that comes to mind is Survivor. I always felt like I'd be good at it, like good at the challenges. And mm -hmm. I have a pretty high tolerance for physical discomfort. <laughs> oh man, I would be out in the first round. <laughs> but that's like, you know, the tolerance for pain is only part of the show. The other part is scheming. The Ooh. question is, are you well, a good schemer? Innocent as a dove, shrewd as a serpent. From Religion News Service, this is Saved by the City, a podcast from two single Christian women making our way in New York and waiting for our own reality TV show, y'all. I'm Caitlin Beatty. And I'm Roxy Stone. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. This week on The State of Belief. Well, I felt like if anyone was going to be speaking up, it was going to have to be somebody like me. Faithful conversations around sexual orientation and gender identity in Texas with Auburn Peterson of Another Story. Also, getting ready for the 2024 vote with Adam Friedman, organizing an election strategist at Interfaith Alliance. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. We're back from winter break and ready to start our third year of podcasting, if you oh can believe it. Oh my gosh. That went fast. Mm -hmm. Happy two-year podcast anniversary, And to you. Podcasting is, I don't know, it's sort of like having a reality TV show, a little. Like, like we recorded in the nude. <laughs> you listeners, you'll never know. <laughs> yeah. And one way that podcasting is probably better than most reality TV shows is that we do not have to put on any makeup in order to record. Right. Or like eat worms or marry a stranger or set my hair on fire just to create drama. We have other ways of creating drama. Today's guest is someone who literally grew up on TV, not as a child actor, but whose childhood was documented in a lot of detail on a hit reality TV show. That would be so weird. <laughs> yes, like... <gasps> like your whole childhood. Like going through the channels and being like, oh, there was my eighth birthday for millions of people to observe. They would have just been filming me like reading a lot and making up dances to Ace of Base, <laughs> which we did a lot of. I guess it could be worse. Our guest today actually would not have been allowed to do that, though, because music with a syncopated beat was forbidden in her household. Ginger Duggar Volo is the author of the new book, Becoming Free Indeed. And I think most of our audience will have known her from the TLC show 19 Kids and Counting. If you haven't seen the show, 19 Kids and Counting refers to the progeny of Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar, a conservative Christian family. Ginger's family, the Duggars, they were part of this sort of what was called the Quiverful movement, which was a Christian theological position that really prioritized having many, many children. 
I mean, uh, apparently. Yeah, yes, this seems a full of them, uh, specifically. <laughs> and this was based on a psalm that says, mm-hmm. like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Ah, yes, quiverful. So that's part of why the Duggars were such a fascinating subject for this TLC show, because obviously people are kind of fascinated by this fringe theological teaching and just the fact of people having that many kids. It's a lot of kids. It's a lot of kids. In addition, Jim Bob and Michelle also subscribed to the teachings of Bill Gothard, Mm -hmm. who was a very conservative minister, the founder of the Institute in Basic Life Principles. Uh, How do I summarize IBLP? Basically, (laughs) this man is going to tell you to have a very good and godly Christian family by emphasizing the authority of the man as the head of the household, women submitting to men, homeschooling, memorizing the Bible, very strong emphasis on authority. Right. And a lot of people subscribe to it, I guess, because they want someone to tell them how to be good Christians is what I could figure out. Is that where the like umbrella image yes. came from? Where it's like God is an umbrella over the husband, who's an umbrella over the wife, who's an umbrella over the kids. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. I, I believe it's from one of the workbooks mm-hmm. of the Institute and Basic Life Principles that is showing like God's proper authority structure. God is the big umbrella. Under right. the big umbrella is a smaller umbrella, which is the guy. Under the smaller umbrella is women and children. And Satan, Roxy, is trying to mess up the umbrellas. Is <laughs> the best way I can put it. Like mess up the order of hierarchy and structure that is purportedly in scripture and this guy is illustrating it. I feel like this doesn't understand the basic water principles of rain. <laughs> like I feel like rain doesn't work that way. Like all you need is one big umbrella. <laughs> But if you're a a woman or a child, you're especially prone to becoming sloshed about Hmm. by the winds of cultural change. Mm. So you need extra umbrellas for protection, right? Uh, Well, you're right. I hadn't factored in the winds of cultural change. (laughs) (laughs) Because because rain can blow from the side if it's really strong. So I'm just saying, I think... (laughs) I think from a chemical and essential standpoint, understanding what water is and how it works, it maybe this image works. <laughs> maybe. I did not grow up or was super familiar with Bill Gothard really until 2014 when it mm-hmm. came to light that 34 women had accused him of sexual harassment and molestation some of them saying that those things happened when they were minors. That was really when I first Mm -hmm. became aware of who Bill Gothard was. So in addition to all of what we've just said, Gothard grew up in Illinois, got his master's degree at Wheaton College, started the ministry shortly after graduating. Also, he never married, Hmm. which a lot of people point out as like, hey, maybe this guy isn't the foremost expert on good and healthy Christian marriages, considering he has never had one. Right. That is weird. So just to give you a taste of the types of teachings 
from the Institute in Biblical Life Principles and to convey just how extreme, how extreme a lot of these teachings were. I have a quiz for you. Oh, just for me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I'm ready. Which of these did Bill Gothard teach? So question one. This is a multiple choice. Multiple choice, which is the correct answer. Okay. Not going to surprise you, Roxy, Bill Gothard teaches that Christians should abstain from premarital sex. (laughs) Makes Mm -hmm. sense. Right. But he also teaches married couples to abstain when? A, when the husband is too tired. B, all the time except when the wife is ovulating. Okay. Or C, 40 days after the birth of a son and 80 days after the birth of a daughter. Wow, that last one is really specific. And if you just made that up for this quiz, I'm going to be impressed. So uh, I guess C? Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) I don't think that because you have one year. I, that's uh, hmm. With a lot of these teachings, there's a kind of head scratching, like what is the rationale here? Right. It seems very arbitrary. Yes. Okay. Second question. I think this one's probably easier. According to Bill Gothard, which is the most godly hairstyle for women? Mm. A, short and choppy like Hillary Clinton. No. B, long and curled and preferably blonde. Think like a bachelor contestant. Hmm, that sounds too tempting. Mm. Well, I'm adding the bachelor part, to be oh, clear. Okay. <laughs> he, he didn't say, I like those bachelor ladies. <laughs> or C, one long braid that runs to a woman's ankles. Okay, I am going to go with C again. Incorrect. It was <gasps> actually B, long oh. and curled and preferably blonde. He did really? say Even pref- the blonde part? Preferably blonde. That sounds racist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that might be one of many issues <laughs> with, <laughs> with these teachings. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm ready for another one. Third and final question. Did you, just out of curiosity, as a sidebar, did you hear that cabbage patch dolls and trolls? were potentially satanic trolls yes why like why were the trolls because they were called trolls (laughs) and trolls are i I think that's it (laughs) and like trolls are like evil beings i mean they seem to always be but they're so all the the dolls are so cute the dolls are so cute i think the dolls were trying to subvert the message that trolls were bad (laughs) which is even more dangerous so Unsurprisingly, uh, Bill Gothard warned against the dangers of trolls. He also warned against the dangers of Cabbage Patch dolls. He said they were demonic. Why? A, their middle names were actually demons' names. B, children made a written agreement to love the doll, which is like a thing with Cabbage Patch dolls. Like you adopt them and then you sign. Yes. Or C, they cause infertility and difficult births. I thought maybe it was going to be because they didn't have belly buttons. (laughs) Do not trust beings without belly buttons. Uh, I don't know. Maybe um, C? Actually, it was all of the above. I was going to say that. Dang it. You didn't offer a D. Well, (laughs) 
but you were you were so right. <laughs> you tricked her. No, I wasn't trying to trick. I hear, I hear this done on wait wait don't tell me. Wow, they were really bad. They were really bad. So we're kind of making light of this. Ginger in her new book does not make light of it. I mean, she talks a lot about having grown up this way and a lot of the fear and anxiety that came with that. She was constantly worried that she was sinning, making mistakes, making God angry with her because it was like a very rules-focused upbringing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what she talks about in her book is trying to figure out how to still love God and love Jesus and yet kind of try to separate that Mm -hmm. and try to separate Christianity from this hyper-fundamentalist upbringing that she had. Right. Ginger is clear that she's not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. She's really just trying to disentangle these cultural teachings from one particular guy from what she believes is in Scripture. My view of God was warped, and that was something where whenever a teacher takes something and twists it to make it say whatever they want, it will mess up your perspective of who God is, and you can often fear God in a wrongful way, not a healthy reverence and respect. But it's like terror. We'll hear more from our conversation with Ginger just after the break. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. Get the deets on the God beat. Oh, we haven't used that one in a while. Throwback. It's a classic. And if you like what we're doing at Say by the City, let us know. Throw us a rating or a review. It goes a long way toward getting the word out about the show. Thanks to all of you who have reviewed. Here's one about our final episode of 2022 with Simra Jeet Singh. Your last episode of the year was the best. Thank you for bringing other religious perspectives into this space. Maybe this could be a theme for the new year. Simran was great. And I do think, actually, that we want to have more interfaith conversations in the future. After Ginger. We love reviews. We also love to hear from you. So shoot us an email at sbtcpodcast at religionnews.com. I'm Paul Brandeis Rauschenbusch. The State of Belief is a weekly podcast with a potent mix of spiritual wisdom, political strategy, and hopeful commentary. In a series of inspiring conversations, celebrating our diversity, and bringing us together to, in the words of the great James Baldwin, achieve our country. The State of Belief, where religion and democracy meet. Distributed by Religion News Service Podcasts and available on your favorite podcast app. Today's guest is Ginger Duggar Volo, author of the new book, Becoming Free Indeed, My Story of Disentangling Faith from Fear. We're excited to talk to Ginger today about her journey away from the fundamentalist faith of her childhood and also about the strangeness of growing up on TV. Hey, Ginger. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ginger. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Just to start off, is there a particular memory from your childhood, from growing up on television that kind of captures the weirdness of living your life on screen? It's interesting. I think because we didn't have cable TV in the house, it kind of provided this weird feeling of like, oh, people know who my mom is. So I remember we would go to the store and people would stop her and be talking to her. And the younger kids were like, 
how do they know your name or how do they know mm-hmm. my name? And they were so confused by that. And I was 10 when the show started, so I got it. But like, that's the funny side of it. The other side was kind of like, as a kid, you didn't know, okay, are people trying to be my friend because I'm on TV or are they just wanting to say hello, which is cool, mm. whatever. There are plus sides to it. There are difficulties with being in the public eye. There's a little bit about both of that. Well, you've come out with a new book and part of the book is talking some about some of the faith that you grew up with and ways that you have moved away from that. How has your family responded to that book and to you sort of speaking critically about some of the ways you grew up? Yeah, I think I wanted to make it very clear from the start that this book is not a tell-all about my family Mm -hmm. because I really did have a happy childhood. I look back at all that my parents sacrificed for me and they pointed me to Jesus from the start, I've had conversations with my family about our differences. Mm. And this is why I don't see this in scripture. And Mm. those things have been really good because I think it sets a foundation for the why behind this book. Mm. This book is about my theological journey because I did grow up under harmful teaching and it threatened to leave me fearful and confused about who Jesus was. So I wanted to be able to share my story in hopes that anyone still in that setting could hear my heart, Um, not one of like bitterness from growing up under it, but even though it's been challenging, ultimately my life going forward doesn't have to be defined by that. But I wanted to make that very clear at the start that this is not about the family, it's about my journey. Let's talk about some of those teachings. What were some of the foundational things that you heard or learned growing up that you would later challenge or see as harmful and not actually based in scripture? To start, Bill Gothard built his whole premise of his teaching on if you abide by my seven basic principles, then God will bless your life. Your family will be wealthy. You'll have a happy family who loves Jesus and your kids will be protected from harm, from influences that they shouldn't be influenced by, and they're all going to turn out as Christians. So that guarantee of success and God prospering you in whatever you do is what drew a ton of families to the teaching. Mm-hmm. He would also at the same time say that if you don't follow these teachings, then your life will be one disaster after another. Mm-hmm. So people would get all confused. Like if they didn't see something in the word of God, it still is this man's teaching, which you almost view as God's word. Mm-hmm. And it gets all mixed up in your mind. So as a kid, I would look at certain principles that he taught, one on authority, like being under your parents' authority means, you know, like doing everything they say, even if you're an adult child, like, you know, you need to live at home. You need to not move out before you're married. Always get your parents' approval on stuff. So it was an interesting perspective. And he would tie a lot of things to the Bible. Even when it came to modesty, he would say that there are certain requirements. Even to protect you from sexual abuse, he would often put it back on the victim and saying it was all your fault because of something you wore mm-hmm. or maybe a place you went. And it was just very damaging. Mm -hmm. And so I went around viewing my life through the lens of what he taught and thinking that was the word of God. In your book, I think there's one story that I kept coming back to about sort of the role that fear seemed to play in your faith. You talked about sort of how anything fun, you kind of viewed it with 
a little bit of suspicion, like, oh, now is this something that like I should be doing something for God in this moment instead. And I think you talked about like playing a sport. Right. Broom ball, was it? <laughs> you said like you were afraid like if you played that maybe God would be unhappy enough that like your family would get in a car crash on the way there. Hmm. And I actually remembered growing up with some of that too, like of that sort of mm-hmm. punitive God that would like, yes. if I did something wrong, there would be this consequence that then I would like learn the lesson and it would come at all this cost. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about how you began to see that that fear wasn't right, wasn't like the way that you see God now. It was interesting because I did view God as like a taskmaster. He's always waiting to get me. It really was left up to my feelings because if I felt like maybe I shouldn't go play broomball, yeah, I would fear a car accident that maybe I'll get killed in a car accident because I had this feeling that I was supposed to stay home and Mm -hmm. read instead. Even when it came to modesty, I remember I write about this in the book, but I had different journal entries I was looking back at and I was like so concerned that my skirt was not like an inch below my knee. So I went shopping for other skirts because I was like, oh no, don't want to defraud guys. I want to make sure I'm glorifying God. So I leaned heavily into those standards once I was saved at the age of 14 thinking, this is how I'm going to be a woman who glorifies and honors God and everything. But that only produced in me more fear Mm. because I was more crippled thinking, oh no, now I don't know what God expects of me at every turn because Bill Gothard would throw in stories. Like he tells a story of this woman who has a painting on the wall. Her husband and sons go out to sea. They die at sea. And this pastor comes in. She says, why did they die? And he's like, you have a painting of a boat on your wall. And they went out to sea in this boat and they died and it's your fault. So I would view life like Mm. that, though. I I started becoming so afraid that maybe I'm not making the right decisions. Maybe these decisions, even though they're not necessarily in the Bible, how am I supposed to know? So you start to almost live in superstition, Mm -hmm. fear. That's really what the teachings were Mm -hmm. based on. It wasn't until I stepped outside of that that I saw this is totally messed up. It's not based on the Word of God. And that's where I shifted to realized that I wanted to live my life to glorify God, but it does not mean following man-made principles. You're pretty adamant that you're not deconstructing your faith. You use the phrase disentangling, kind of disentangling a lot of elements of your childhood faith from what you now believe. So what is the difference between disentanglement and deconstruction for you? Yeah, I think in today's time, there's so many, sadly, who have been hurt by the church or hurt by a teacher, someone who is claiming to speak for God but doesn't, and their entire world is wrapped up in that. So whenever they've been harmed inside of it, it's really tough, and a lot of people turn to this deconstruction movement, which I would see as like tearing your faith down to the studs, never to build it up again because you've been so harmed by this teaching that's mixed with the Bible. So just tear it all down. And sadly, that's where so many have gone. I think even some in the setting I was raised in have Mm -hmm. gone that route, thinking I'm just so confused. What does God expect of me? Why are these Bible verses twisted? So I'm just going to take it all apart and tear it down. My journey Mm. has not been that. And I've been very clear from the start. I think some people may have wished I went that way and threw off all Christianity because I think some of them saw the dangers of the teaching I was in and almost thought this is the only solution. Mm -hmm. But 
thankfully that's just not the case because my story has been one of disentanglement and it's really this illustration that I've given is if you get putty stuck in your hair, you don't need to just shave your head. You can take the time to pick out the putty, even though it's painful, even though it's hard, it's a slow process. It's something that I've had to do throughout this time because it's so tough whenever you'll read a passage of scripture and it's been twisted or manipulated by a teacher. And when you're reading those words of God, you just have in your mind this teacher's words. And so it's a hard process to realize, okay, I want to come to the Bible and see what does God's word actually say? And what was really this shift for me happened whenever my now husband, Jeremy, came on the scene because he totally outside of this world of Bill Gothard came on the scene and thought, okay, that's interesting. Ginger has some of these things that she believes, but she loves Jesus. So we started to get to know one another and my dad was like, okay, well, before you move on in your relationship, I would love for Jeremy to listen to 60 plus hours of Bill Gothard's teaching. <laughs> so he started listening through some of these seminars by himself and he was like, huh, this guy has some philosophical things to say. But the further in he got, he realized he's not a Bible mm -hmm. teacher. And I remember when he said that to me, I was like, what do you mean he's not a Bible teacher? Because it just caught me off guard. I think I knew I was supposed to compare everything with the Bible, but I hadn't done that with Bill Gothard's teaching. And so when I stopped and did, I realized, for one, not a Bible teacher, but he's also wading into some dangerous waters because he is binding people's consciences to things that are outside of the Bible and creating this mm -hmm. fear for them never to leave it because if you do, God's going to destroy your life. So it's so damaging. And I saw so many friends who wrestled with that, some who really love Jesus and were like, why? Why is this teaching so confusing? And went through years of having to try to work through it. That's really like what drove me to write this book too, is because I, I knew how difficult it was for me to come out of these teachings. And also just to be able to speak up about it, because that's something else in settings that are so tight knit mm -hmm. in the community, it's really tough to, mm -hmm. to speak out. So even as the public platform that God's given me, I wanted to be able to speak truth and expose this error for what mm -hmm. it is. It's harmful theology that it's so sad how many have just been destroyed by it. I resonated with what you said about like reading these Bible passages that you've heard taught in a certain way so many times and then trying to figure out like what is really being said here? What did God really intend here? Can you talk a little bit about like what was that process? Like how did you go through that? Obviously your husband was kind of walking you through that. Where did you go to find other interpretations or other teachings? Like what was that process like for you? What really freed me initially from Bill Gothard's teachings was just walking through with an open Bible. So I listened to so many of his seminars. And the further in I got to thinking about writing this book, when I started going back and listening to more and more seminars, it was something that I realized I was having to pause his seminar every 10 seconds, every 30 seconds, because it was totally inaccurate. And I was taking notes. I mean, I could have written this massive book on just all the errors. Scripture lined up against what he said, and it just doesn't add up. So that for me was freeing. Or if I see that it's complete opposite, where he would tell like a woman, if you come to Jesus, you can't bring your mess to him. So do these three steps to clean up your mess before you come to Jesus so that way you can be saved. And I was like, 
He taught that, and I was listening to that on the seminar, and I was thinking, I never would have said that salvation was by works, but he literally just said that mm-hmm. in the seminar. He said, do my steps. So some of that freed me from Bill Gothard's teachings. But when I was coming back to the Bible to look at it for myself, it just was realizing, okay, this is what the Word of God says. And what really was most freeing for me was seeing the character and nature of who God is in the Word of God, because my view of God was warped. And that was something where whenever a teacher takes something and twists it to make it say whatever Mm -hmm. they want, it will mess up your perspective of who God is. And you can often fear God in a wrongful way, not a healthy reverence and respect. But it's like terror, Mm -hmm. like waiting for him to smite me and him not viewing me as his child and not viewing me with the grace of God. And so those things were foundational for me, finding rest for my soul in the truth of God's word that that he is a loving and kind and gracious savior who will never leave me or forsake me. This picture of God as heavenly father changed Mm -hmm. my view. And so reading through the word of God, I I think some of those things started to come off, but it was hard because he made you feel like if you weren't inside these teachings, you weren't going to be okay. And it's the gripping Mm -hmm. fear of that that would keep me from wanting to examine more or see, is this true? Because it still was in my head that maybe this is right, but what if it's not? Because if it's not, his words are true and my life will Mm -hmm. be destroyed. I'm sure that you saw the recent Christianity Today report on Grace Community Church, which I think that's where you attend. And there's some accusations there about telling women to stay with abusive husbands and children. And like that was the sort of spiritual leadership they received You've obviously written a lot critically about some of those teachings on women's submission that you grew up with. And you've talked already on this podcast a lot about like these harmful teachings that harm particularly vulnerable people. So how are you kind of processing that, knowing that this is the church that you're at now and that you're part of? How are you reacting to that news? I just recently learned about this. And so it's something that I feel like until I get you know more information, I can't really speak to it. But from my personal view of what, you know, I've experienced at Grace Church has not been that. I would just have to look further into that, and I'm going to. But it's so recent, Mm -hmm. I can't speak to it just yet. I'm sure you are facing or have faced questions from people still within the Bill Gothard movement, like, where is Ginger going? Why is she calling out our community? And then you've probably also faced criticisms from people who are deconstructing, who feel like you haven't gone far enough in your critique of Mm -hmm. toxic expressions of Christianity. So what is it like for you to walk in the middle of these two camps of critique? And what do you say to people who really want you to go farther in calling out harmful elements of the American church? Hmm. I think with me telling this story, it's something that You'll have people on both sides that think I I should just leave Christianity altogether. I've heard that for many years with the free ginger movement. And then on the other side, those who think that me leaving these teachings is a terrible thing. But at the end of the day, where I've landed is just my commitment is going to be to the Bible, to the Word of God. And that's something that will never change. It's, it's unshaken 
that foundation found in the Word of God. And so, yeah, I think that you'll hear critics and you'll hear people say a lot of things. But at the end of the day, I hope that they would see, even through reading this book, the beauty and grace of Jesus in a way that maybe they've never experienced before or never heard before, because I know a lot of people can identify with the wrestlings in this journey that I've been on, even if they weren't raised in mm-hmm. Bill Gothard's teaching, that hopefully they could see that even though people will let us down, Jesus will never let us down and to run to him alone and not put your trust in other people. I want to go back to something you just mentioned, which I feel like we need to camp out (laughs) on for maybe 30 seconds. Tell us about the Free Ginger movement. Yeah. So Free Ginger was a forum that was created. I think some people saw me maybe roll my eyes on the show because I was just funny. I was a silly teenager. So I would like roll my eyes or like say something funny. And I mentioned a couple times, I guess, when we traveled about loving the big city and wanting to live in a big city one day. And they were like, rebel, like she wants to run away from her family and live the good life. So that's how this Free Ginger Forum started. And I think that people were well-meaning because they saw the dangers in the side of these teachings that were harmful and wanted me to come out of it. But they wanted me to abandon Christianity altogether, which I said, you know, wasn't my conclusion that Mm -hmm. I've come to. But I think that they definitely had a well-meaning start. Is there still a free ginger movement? Like, is this ongoing? <laughs> yeah, it's there's a forum online, um, and I don't think it has much to do with me today. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I haven't checked it out too recently. But they just, yeah, they talk about all different stuff on there. That must be so strange to have a movement <laughs> proclaiming that like they want you to be freed, and you're like. I'm just living my life. I'm just doing my thing. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of interesting. You know, I think so much of what we've been talking about and so much of your life that sort of was in the public eye and scrutinized and that you're talking about in the book was how you were raised. A lot of us learned how to raise kids from our parents. So how are you kind of approaching raising kids and thinking about like what you learn from your parents that you want to raise your kids with those values or that way of life? And where are you finding like you want to find a new way. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause at the age of like, I don't know, maybe 14 or 15, I would have thought, Oh man, I have all of this mapped out how my life is going to go. Hmm. And it'll be so easy to know how my kids are going to act. I'm not going to send them to school. I'm going to do all this because it was prescribed for me through Bill Gothard's teaching. So it was very easy. I had it all mapped out. And anytime anybody else's kids would act up or rebel, I'd be like, ha, I know why they did that. And I would always have this black and white answer for everything. But interestingly enough, like stepping outside of that, it really makes you rely on the the Holy Spirit, rely on the Word of God, on prayer. And I think teachers like Bill Gothard can often become the Holy Spirit for you and make you feel like I have this guarantee of success. But whenever you set that aside, it's scary to think, oh man, now we're parenting without mm-hmm. all of these black and white rules. And it makes it where you have to rely on the Lord. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit, on prayer, and to carry us through, which is a beautiful thing. But it was definitely scary for me because I was looking at this thinking, now we have to actually, okay, let's open the Bible. Let's see what the Word of God does say. There's also areas where it doesn't speak to what to do. And so Mm -hmm. it's using wisdom, it's praying and 
seeking direction on that because it's mm-hmm. it makes it more challenging. Yeah, I would see elements of things that I appreciated in my childhood that I can carry on and then the teachings of Bill Gothard are mm-hmm. what I set aside. Thanks so much for joining us Ginger and for sharing your story and for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. One thing I will say is that given all we know about the teachings of Bill Gothard and just the intensity of the environment that the Ginger and her siblings grew up in, I'm kind of surprised she is still a Christian. Like, in some ways, if she weren't, I wouldn't blame her because in my mind— the presentation of Christian faith that she inherited was so warped (laughs) and so all-encompassing that, like, the only way to process it at some point is to totally reject it. So the fact that she's found her way to something like what she calls disentanglement is honestly kind of impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of think back to our conversation with Sam Kastenbaum last year and just how difficult it can be to leave these like we're not calling them cults but these very like enmeshed communities where mm-hmm. so much of your identity and your family's identity are wrapped up in these belief systems and so when you leave you're not only leaving the beliefs you're leaving a community and in many cases even leaving a family your own family so on that point just the fact that ginger is trying to critique many elements of her upbringing without breaking ties with her family and trying to maintain a positive relationship is also very impressive to me and like yeah, yeah pretty remarkable. Yeah, I really thought this is super complicated. And you know, she doesn't just have one or two family members to <laughs> work through this with. <laughs> As we've established at the very beginning, there are 19 other siblings. Yes. And two parents. So that's a lot of relational work to do to both be leaving that system and attempting to maintain relationships with people who are on their own journeys. I I don't Mm. know where all the other siblings are other than her brother, Josh, who I know is in jail for abuse. I believe that at least one of the other siblings has pretty firmly rejected the whole apparatus and doesn't hesitate to call it like a cult. But I imagine that there are also people in Ginger's family who are really concerned about her soul. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) And that can be a really uncomfortable place to sit in to Mm -hmm. have your convictions and critique elements of what other people believe and realize that's no longer for you and then sit under some measure of judgment by the people who are worried now that you've left. And then to write a book about it. What do you make of the distinction that Ginger draws between disentangling and deconstruction? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think they're both metaphors, you know? And (laughs) yes, (laughs) in some ways they feel like metaphors attempting to describe what feels to me like the same thing. And maybe one feels more apt or more appropriate for one person and another one feels that way for another person. 
And I think deconstruction has become a scary word for mm-hmm. a lot of people who are really committed to holding on to their Christianity because a lot of people who have deconstructed have like mm. and have lost their faith. But I, you know, I also know a lot of people who would describe what they've gone through as deconstruction and they're still Christians. Right, right. I think disentangling is another really helpful way to describe it. And I like mm-hmm. her her whole metaphor about hair and putty. And I'm and I'm thinking as she's saying it, like, yeah, that is really hard to do. And in some ways it would be a lot easier to just cut the hair out. But I also think like deconstructing a house in order to rebuild something is also really hard. Mm-hmm. And it would be a lot easier to just start over, build a different house, you know, walk away from the house and go build a different one. That's interesting. So, you know, I think they both are hard work and painful Yes. And involve a lot of patience and care. Yeah. And I I sense that from Ginger, that her process has been very careful. And I also sense that from a lot of people who would say that they have deconstructed, that I think it's simplistic to equate that word with burn down the house. Right. Like to extend the house metaphor, tearing down elements of the house while keeping the foundation and figuring out what you build up in its place mm-hmm is painstaking work. Yeah. It's not burning down the house. It's precisely not burning down the house. Right, right. And on this point, I, you know, we touched on this with Ginger that there are some people who feel like she hasn't gone far enough in her disentanglement Mm -hmm. and may even say, actually, to extend the disentangling hair metaphor, like, girl, there's putty all over your head. (laughs) There's no, like, gently sifting it out. It's like you need to shave your head to be healthy and free. Right. And some of this gets down to how much one perceives all of more traditional or conservative Christianity to be toxic and bad. Right. Like, can you even disentangle or can the only thing you can do is to shave your head? So I know a lot of people who would say their deconstruction slash disentangling journey was away from MacArthur's church. Right. Which is where Ginger's at now. Right. You know? So, right. I mean, I think there's that, that's, that's going to strike a lot of people as a sort of irony. That's the super conservative church that they moved away from and had to disentangle their faith from. And for her, that's like freedom from a fundamentalist faith background that she grew up in. Right. It kind of aligns with the argument that complementarianism, which I'm just going to assume our listeners know what that means is just like a gentler and more covert form of patriarchy. Right. And like John MacArthur isn't saying, well, actually he is saying the quiet things out loud. <laughs> he but, saying a lot of them out loud. <laughs> but like, real loud. okay, held up to Bill Gothard, he seems more approachable or a little gentler or not as harsh. Whereas some people would say, no, it's like, it's we're dealing with the same problem. Right. One just is like a slightly milder than the other. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think we've had other podcasts where we've talked about some of, we haven't, I don't think we've specifically talked about MacArthur, but we've certainly talked about like churches and pastors that uphold men as above their wives and as has been accused of MacArthur, like to the point where they're telling these women to stay with abusive husbands. And I think that that's stuff we've called out on this podcast. So I, you know, I think Ginger said she's going to look into it. I hope she does. You know, I hope that that's part of her, you know, that she takes that seriously. Yeah, absolutely. At the very least, because 
if she and her siblings have been harmed in this Mm -hmm. previous context, you would want her and people she has influence over to know that, in fact, the harm may be repeated, even if it doesn't seem as obvious that it would be. And, like, if you're positioning yourself to be an advocate for people who've experienced abuse in the church, I think you'd want to (laughs) know— (laughs) <laughs> get mm-hmm. to the bottom of whether this church has enabled abusers and right. harmed victims or or disempowered them. I will say, I don't think it's quite fair to expect any of the Duggar children. Like, I think we should all be graded on a curve when it comes to how far along we are <laughs> in our faith journey. Right. I don't mean that to sound condescending, just to say that Ginger grew up with so many more additional burdens to have to wrestle through than a lot of us did. You and I didn't grow up with the Cabbage Patch Dolls teaching. So the fact that she's not like reading Richard Rohr is maybe understandable. I agree. And this goes back to something we've talked about before about sort of like progressive amnesia where people are sort of like, hey, I've come this far and like judging anybody who's sort of at any other point in the journey. Everybody's on a journey and I hold to beliefs that I have now that feel like they're more true than what Mm -hmm. I had at other points in my life. But I also felt at other points in my life that those beliefs were really true. And we are here looking through a mirror darkly and (laughs) all of this stuff is like, we're all figuring it out. And I hope that we can be companions on each other's journeys instead of finger wagging. It's very possible that 10 or 20 years from now, we will look back on who we were now and be like, oh, I was so naive. Well, none of us know where this journey ends. And none of us knows where this podcast ends. (laughs) Maybe here. Saved by the City is a religion news service production. The producer is Jay Woodward and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We get production assistance from Elizabeth Joy Winton. Chaz Rousseau put together our look, and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are. And Caitlin Beatty. Thanks Thanks for listening. listening.